We are going to read another passage from Hosea today to help us understand God's character. It is about God's relationship with the Israelites and God whose love they rejected is the God who chose them for himself and brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. Let us pray for illumination. Spirit of God, open our minds to the vision, intention, and means God's grace gives each of us for our lives and our world. May we hear, see, and discern God's truth for us as individual disciples for all of us and all, for all of us as the church. I will be reading from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and bands of love. I was with them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities, it consumes their oracle priest and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I 
will return them to their homes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God, and the people say, I just have to say, do you know today is the last day of July? Do you know what that means? Come on, do y'all know what that means? School's about to start. Yes, yes, I, even if I'm not a teacher, I get so excited. I met with some friends this week. I was more excited than they were that school's starting. Oh, yes, school, I can't, I can't help myself. Every year I get so excited. I got to talk to children. I got, it's like I want to go in a classroom and set up. Okay, I admit, I helped my friend the last few years. I'm not going to help her this year. I went to school and helped her set up her classroom, and I didn't have to, but it was fun, and I enjoyed it. And I can remember going to school every year in July. June, I took off, and in July, I was like, school starting, and my whole family knew it. I'm going to school. Whether they're ready for me or not, I'm going to set up my classroom. And then I was ready for school to start, so excited, more than I think the children. But I'll tell you what, that first day every year, when I was at the school so happy and giddy, those parents would come drop off those children. I don't know who was more happy. Me, that I finally had students in my classroom, or them to get rid of their children from the house. Every year, I was, the, I was right there, the happiest teacher. You know, you have those that are at the, I was the morning duty, always morning duty. Oh, hello, how y'all doing? School's today. And, and the kids would come in like, ugh, you know, ugh. And I was so excited. And it stayed from the moment I started the day till I left. And the old, younger teachers would say, how do you do it? I, I, I make them do all the work. <laughs> I, I make them learn. I used to get up in the morning and tell my daughters, Bye, I love y'all. I'm going to school and torture the children. I'm going to make them learn. And my girls, you could ask them. It was every morning. They were like, Mom, how are you so happy? I said, how can you not be? How can you not be happy when you're able to serve God with the children of God in your room every day? I tell you, I have never forgot that one of the best things I could do to get the children to learn was to make them feel welcome and loved. I was not that great a teacher. My statistics were real good. My children learned. But I had better teachers in the school. You know what I was? I was the best hospitality host in the classroom you could ever have. Those children came in. I loved them. They did something wrong. I forgave them, and we moved on. Okay, yeah, I had to do the discipline steps, and they had to, but they learned that whether they behaved or not, I was going to love them. And so they came in, and they said, it doesn't do any good. If she misbehaves, she's just going to go get you at recess to do the work you missed. Oh, I'll give up my recess. I want you to learn. And I'd go get them, and they were like, well, she is crazy. She making us learn even when we don't want to learn. They learned because of my message of compassion and love. Mostly my lesson, lesson, message of uh, forgiveness. Children do a lot of things wrong. They can't help themselves. They're learning. They can't, they can't seem to follow procedures for speaking out of turn. And all of that, when you're in the classroom, is forgiven. Because you want to love those children as your own. I have to tell you uh, a story. I had a student teacher one year. And that year, I had a group of students I would bring home. And that student teacher kept hearing the students calling me mom. And my own daughter was in the room. I taught her in first grade. And she had to call me Miss Alice. 
Because if she didn't call me Miss Alice, I was going to ignore her, and I am so good at ignoring. So I would ignore her. So all the kids would call me mom. And I'd bring a group home um, every day because they lived by where my babysitter was for the other one. And it took three weeks before she realized who my daughter was. She said, I never noticed the difference between all of them, and they kept calling you mom. I said, it's because they come sleep at my house, and they call me mom like my daughter does, and I just answer because I know that I'm their mom at school. That's, to me, what it means to be a community. Every time I think about schools and churches, it reminds me of a, of a phrase that I hope you have heard and I try to live by. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes all of us working together to make disciples in the church that could go into the classrooms and be the disciples that teach the love of Jesus to others. Now, I'm not telling them to go preach in the school. We teach sometimes by saying nothing at all. It's what we do. You see, our passage today from Hosea opens with the imagery of a loving father. God, in an act of divine love, called the Israelites out of slavery to be his son. He called them, and he called them. He called them through the prophets. But like disobedient children, they failed to listen to his call. They took up cultural practices and worshipped the Baals. But through it all, God remained faithful. As told to us in the words of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 through 11, he sustained him in the desert, in a howling wilderness waste. He shielded him, cared for him, guarded him, his son, as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, as it spreads its wings, takes them up, and bears them aloft on its pinions. God gave them the same free, unmerited grace that he gives each of us and this church the grace that transforms our minds and hearts to be disciples of Jesus Christ. A grace that heals our cultural blindness to be able to see what it means to love and be Christ-like. Yet, the human ego is a slave to idolatry. The Israelites refused to recognize the true origin in divine revelation. Their idolatrous minds continued to turn to the Baals. Who or what is your Baal in your life? Through it all, God remained faithful and continued to call the Israelites back to him, just as we are called by Jesus to be his disciples. God led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. 
what human cords or bands are holding you? What is your yoke that binds you? Have you been introduced or experienced the healing gift of God's grace and Jesus' yoke? Each day when we gather here, and I hope you're doing it at home on your own, you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say in part of there, give us this day our daily bread. When you say those words, you are giving a call to submission to your Lord, a call to let Jesus be your yoke, not the cords or the bands of your cultural mindset. You cannot transform into a Christ-like disciple until you break the cords holding you to cultural visions of discipleship and you put on Jesus' yoke. Come to me, all who labor, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said those words in Matthew chapter 11, their verses 28 through 30. It's no wonder that God became frustrated with his children. The Israelites continued to live their lives for their own idolatrous mindsets and visions. They were bent on turning away from God. Their yoke was not of God. Their yoke was of their cultural mindset. God's spirit of compassion can be found in the series of questions asking how. How can God let go of his children? Verses 8 through 9 show us a holy one whose holy presence is characterized by a powerful inner compassion that limits divine wrath. The truth is that God does not let go of any of his children. Every one of us stands in need of God's grace. We cannot possibly save ourselves. John Wesley wrote about the corruption of our nature in original sin. Unaided by grace will lead inevitably to actual sin on our part because of our human nature. Sin for which we are truly responsible and for which we are liable to God's judgment. Verses 10 through 11 tell us about a trembling group of Israelites that will go after the Lord and God alone will return them to their homes. 
It is because God alone reaches out to us and gives us grace that you and I have free will. We all have the free will to follow or reject Christ as a result of God's grace. And this brings us to our discipleship. What kind of disciples are we? There's two words you're going to learn when I preach. There's costly and cheap disciples, as referred to by Bonhoeffer. And John Wesley even wrote a sermon on already and almost. And we need to learn the difference. But part of that comes from the vision that we have of discipleship. What is your vision of being Christ-like? What are your intentions in that vision to be a person who lives in Christ and Christ in you? And what are the means given to each of us and the church to grow in discipleship to be Christ-like. God's grace is a responsible grace for you and me. We are to respond to God's grace by accepting the call to discipleship, a call to accept God's gracious offer of salvation from sin and God's assistance to live a Christ-like life. Our Christian pilgrimage begins and is found in God's grace, the prevenient grace that awakens us to even begin the journey, the justifying grace that involves not merely the knowledge of who God is and Christ, but also a heartfelt trust in God to be born again as a new life in Christ. This new birth marks the beginning of the quest for Christian holiness called sanctification. You see, the Wesleyan understanding of sanctification denotes in the first place a transformation of our wills and affections. Our wills and affections are from our mindsets. But they are transformed through God's grace. Through God's grace, we as human beings learn how to love and desire that which God loves so that the pursuit of sanctification is the pursuit of ultimate joy. And we do what is right and avoid what is evil. Not because of a list of rules, because that is what our transformed wills truly desire. As Methodists, we often call upon believers to renew their commitment to Christ or to rededicate themselves to Christ. 
And today as your pastor, I'm calling each of you as individual disciples and as the church to rededicate yourselves to Christ. Renew your minds with the vision given to us by John Wesley's understanding of Christian life. You see, one aspect of the beauty of his vision lies in the balance. The Wesleyan vision attempts to balance the justification with the sanctification. Divine grace with human responsibility. Faith with good works. And personal holiness with social holiness. It is also in its depth. And the depth is where we get the words cheap and costly. Almost and already in reference to discipleship. You see, the Wesleyan vision is to live out a life of fidelity to our Lord Jesus Christ. As Methodists, we live with the vision of a Christian life that seeks comprehensive transformation through God's grace. A transformation that begins with our minds when we live through God's vision of what the world and the church should be. A vision that does not take us away from each other. A vision that puts us together in this church as one church family. A church family serving each other and the community of Winsboro. No matter who we are and what we believe from our culture, when we come to the church, we come to love, nurture, and grow as disciples. I thank you for letting me be a part of this season's journey and growing in discipleship. Because you see, I don't have a classroom anymore. So you're now my classroom. You are now my students. You are now my fellow characters in the story of life. And for however long and what we do, we will do this journey in love. Because I don't know how to do anything else. God taught me well, and I thank him, because I didn't learn to love on my own. It was God who taught me how to accept people who are different and love them anyway. Now, now that I said that, I want you all to all listen to me and do exactly what I say. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> That's not in my nature. Um, amen. Let us pray. God, our faithful Father, it is because you love us that you give us the gift of grace. A grace that is a responsible grace. A grace that enables us to use our free will for your purposes. Yet we so often deceive ourselves to believe that what we want is what you want. We need you. 
We need your grace to transform us to have the vision, intention, and means to be Christ-like. We need your spirit as our companions on this Christian pilgrimage to guide us to make the choice to be disciples living out your vision for creation. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And it is at this